Hi, I'm Talissa. And I'm Rachel, and this is Transatlantic Crime, a true crime podcast that covers stories from each side of the pond. Every week, we will both cover a separate story with a running theme. Disclaimer, this podcast will contain swearing and details that some people may find offensive. If you are of a sensitive disposition, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Transatlantic Crime. Hi, Talissa. Hi, Rach. So, how's your gob? Oh, my mouth is doing so much better. It healed so much faster than what I was really expecting. I was so scared going in. You guys heard me last time. I was so scared. Yeah. I went in and they were like, we're not going to give you Novocaine, which is the thing I was most scared about. The injections. You didn't want the injections to hurt. Yeah, because Novocaine shots really hurt. It's your mouth. So you were glad they didn't? I'm glad they didn't, but I was also really shocked. And I was then like had to deal with the pain of, okay, fast forward if you don't want to hear about it. But Talissa, I'm telling you, you're going to have to hear about it. (laughs) All right. Uh, They were pulling out four screws out of the roof of my mouth. So they didn't give me any Novocaine to numb it. So they started pulling, you know, the unscrewing two of them. I don't know what I'd rather have. I know. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. They started unscrewing it. It hurt a lot. Oh. And then halfway through, I was like, even though I couldn't speak, I was like, this hurts a lot in the best way that I could say it. (laughs) And then they- Oh, Rachel. They sprayed some like numbing stuff on the roof of my mouth, but that didn't do anything because the screws are inside. You know, they're behind my nasal passage. So- Oh. They did that. But I will tell you that it did. The orthodontist was right. It hurt a lot less than the Novocaine shots, but it was just a longer pain, if that makes sense. Oh, Lord. Yeah. I think basically you've just got to eat shit either way. Like it's going to be shit either way. (laughs) Do you want it long and less? Do you want it like a long smear or do you want like (laughs) a big chunk? Of shit. (laughs) But in the end... And you chose the smear. I I chose the smear. (laughs) I chose the smear. And in the end, it was so much... It was just a huge relief to just get it out of my mouth. And it started healing straight away. It was really sore, but uh, I ate a lot of popsicles. I had a break from talking a lot. You guys had an amazing (laughs) podcast episode with special guest Carly. And now I'm back. Yeah, here she is. (laughs) Here I am. Do you feel like you can talk easier now as well? Oh, yeah. A thousand percent. I can talk a lot better. Well. I can eat. I can sleep. Congratulations, Rach. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) That's all right. You you were a trooper. For a long time, right? Six months? A little bit longer than six months. September of last year until June. About seven nine something like that yeah i don't want to think about it (laughs) whatever it's so easy to work out (laughs) yeah and moving swiftly on yeah you guys had an amazing episode and i really liked it because carly was talking about all the places that i've been to she was talking about felix stowe she was talking about suffolk yeah it's no i was talking about that oh yeah wait yeah, Carly yeah, was right. talking about Australia. Australia, And I was talking yeah. about Felix Stowe. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Why, obviously, the screws were still messing with my head because I did not remember that part. But... <laughs> no, me, me and Carly have really similar voices, which doesn't help, <laughs> I think. Like, we, we do, speak in a really similar way. You sounded great. Yeah. And the stories, yeah, you, the, you were talking about Felix Stowe and it was, both were very exciting. I loved it. So good job. Oh, thanks, pal. Yeah. That's very sweet of you. <laughs> um, I was annoyed because Carly wouldn't stop fucking moving through it. Like, I could hear banging and I was like, I was like, dude, a little professionalism. <laughs> like, she, she went, when I set her up, she was like, uh, I went, right, so just hold the microphone here. And then she was like, I know how to use a fucking microphone. I was like, do ya? 
but anyway people really liked it so fuck me i guess yeah yeah so uh i text you in the week didn't i about and i said you text me all the time remind so. <laughs> i text you oh, a lot yeah. but this particular one was about the podcast <laughs> yes oh yeah yeah i'm supposed to remind you yes okay what are your yeah. questions and what are you going to talk about right so my question was i was listening to a podcast with small town murder and they were saying somebody got absolutely shit-faced on something called everclear yeah i've heard everclear mentioned on multiple american podcasts and i don't know what it is it is cheap but really high alcohol percentage alcohol. It's clear. What does the bottle look like? It's clear. It looks like a bottle of vodka, I guess. Yeah. Has it got like a fancy design or anything or it's just like not, shit marketing as well? Not really. It's like, what is the, what's the equivalent for you guys? I'm trying to think. Just It's just really, it's also really, really strong. Vodka. So like I was going to. Your cheap ones are like Lambrini or if you're in Ireland, Buckfast. Like MD 2020? I don't even know like what that, we have that Mad sounds Dog like 2020. a gun. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a wrestler. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't exactly know what it is, but it comes in like neon flavors, like lime mm. or raspberry, but it's like oh, neon. Yeah, we or have you can that, get like a blue one. We have that here called UV40. UV40? It's bright blue. <laughs> I remember drinking that when I yeah. was like 19. Yikes. Yeah, and like it's just like miscellaneous alcohol, basically. Yeah. yeah. But really strong. <laughs> like it's yeah. not like you can't tell if it's vodka based, rum based. It's like, no, it's just booze based. Like right. hand sanitizer based. Is it basically that? <laughs> but clear. Yeah. Yeah. It's what you drink when you're underage and you want to get the fastest, quickest, cheapest way to being drunk. <laughs> Okay. And how cheap is it compared to like, like a regular, like, okay, so me and Carly bought a vo bottle of vodka the other day and it was like uh, 15 quid for 70 silliers. So like just under a liter. That's like 20 bucks, I guess. Yeah. I'm not sure, actually. I'm going to look it up right now. But then I guess you're getting stronger alcohol than vodka, which seems fucking impossible. But obviously someone's found a way. <laughs> Uh, it looks like a regular bottle is around 20 bucks, maybe $17. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. not. So, if you all pull, pulled your money together, like, yeah. you could get one. <laughs> you each have $5. Five of you <laughs> are putting in, like, three or four quid. Yeah. yeah okay. I get yeah. it. And, like, no adults drink this drink unless they're alcoholic or homeless or... Yeah. Yeah. So, it's exclusively teenagers, alcoholics, and homeless people that are drinking I believe this. so. People who are down and out. People who are down on their luck and yeah. don't have time to enjoy the alcohol. <laughs> they just need it to work. Just get it down yeah. and forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. And then the other thing I wanted to tell you was I was driving to work the other morning and like, I fucking hate getting up for work. Mm. Uh, I'm just like tired and hungry and annoyed on yeah. the way in. And I know that what you're whole... thinking. You're thinking, have some breakfast. <laughs> No time, Rachel. There's no it's, time. <laughs> it's the whole pro. I completely agree with you. It's the whole process of getting up in the morning and going to work. You don't have any Ugh, time for yourself. Dressed. Getting dressed. Yeah. Putting on stupid. There's makeup, no ease into it. Washing my stupid <laughs> hair. <laughs> yeah, it's like getting fired out of a cannon. Yeah, <laughs> and then just landing at work. That's yeah. what it feels like. Yeah. So I'm driving to work in a bad mood, starving, and um. I look around and this guy, he's waiting at the traffic lights and he has a t-shirt on that says Lizard Jesus and like nothing else. It just said Lizard Jesus on it. And All I was right. like, fair enough. And then keep going. And I look in, like the traffic is like fucking standstill. So I'm just like looking around and I notice a person in front of me has a bumper sticker on the back of their car. Yeah. And it's <laughs> the first one said, there's two on the same car. The first one said, uh, I believe... I believe in a watery Mars, as in like the planet. Yeah. I was like, mm, all right. Why? So I, my eyes bounce to the next one. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the piece de resistance. It says, sorry about my shit driving. I'm probably thinking about centipedes with like pictures of centipedes on it. And I was like, what kind of right, weirdo what the fuck <laughs> is going on? <laughs> and there's, there's no one in the car with me to see it. Like, I just think, Am I just imagining this? Because I'm so fucking tired and annoyed. 
It's like a weird dream that you're having as you're driving to work. That is the sort of thing that you would, like, you'd be like, oh, I had this really weird dream and there's a poster on the wall that said, sorry about my driving, I'm thinking about centipedes. And someone would be like, that's fucking bullshit. Don't tell me about your boring dream. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's fucking weird. Uh, I love but that. Then, but I also, work. I, I love that, but I also hate it because why? Why are you putting that on a bumper sticker? Of all the things that you could put on a bumper sticker on your car, why do you choose those? You couldn't even be like an insect scientist because specifically centipedes. <laughs> Unless they're like your favourite. Yeah. When I got into work, I said to my colleague, um, Daisy, I was like, told her about this story. And then she went, where were you? And I was like, oh, Bedminster. She was like, well, what do you expect? <laughs> I was like, What does fine. that mean to our listeners our, who don't live in Bristol? Um, well, Bristol is just like weirdo, UFO-believing, feminist, queer, <laughs> trap, like every spectrum of alternative lifestyle has settled in okay. Bristol, yeah. including myself. <laughs> yeah, and so you kind of expect it. Like the other night we were out having drinks and somebody just rode down the street with like a massive boombox on their back with like <laughs> songs playing and everyone just like cheered as they went past. Like, it's just weird. It's just weird. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I love it. That happened, so, and I so want to tell you about it. So it's just accepted that you're probably going to meet that centipede man on Bumble at some point. Yeah, Bristol Bumble is a bit of a like minefield <laughs> of harem pants and the jobless. <laughs> okay, I have <laughs> I a must say. Okay. On that note, I have a question because I've heard. Yeah. You know, LA is very similar. You know, with like the crystals and the. Fluid lifestyles. We are living the same life on two sides of the world. (laughs) We really are. But here on Bumble or, you know, whatever dating apps or dating sites, there's a lot of people who are like, I am in an ethically non-monogamous relationship. A lot of polyamorous. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that going on here. I assume it's some sort of people live in a coven or sort of like community (laughs) living. I don't know. As Mark from Peep Show said, I'm a bit of a sort of, you know, straight and narrow, dick in the vagina, <laughs> beef wellington. <laughs> like Bed by nine, the end. Bed by nine, cup of cocoa. Like, I'm, yeah, I can't really be dealing with all of that. And I know that you're of the same ilk. Yeah. So. Yes, I am. I just, I just scroll right by those people because I don't think they're for us. It's too much noise. I'm a too- jealous fucker as well. Like, I, I don't want to have to keep up with someone else like i don't want to have to compare myself to someone else but then people in polyamorous relationships be like that's not how it is yeah. like you don't compare yourself like but then they're just far more mature than me <laughs> that they can not be a little bitch about it <laughs> yeah i mean it i just feel like that kind of thing becomes your life like that becomes your job yeah and i'm too tired for that it's your, well it would be a fu- dude i've got one boyfriend and it is <laughs> fucking like he is one of like the least uh, needing maintenance men I've ever been out with. Yeah. And it's still hard work. It's still, yeah. Because you just, fitting someone in your life, like, to, you have to see them. Otherwise, they won't want to go out with you anymore. So, <laughs> you have to see them. You have to talk to them. You have to go to their house. You have to, you have to plan stuff. Consider their likes and their dislikes. And- consider, like, did, uh, are they have they got plans that day like i need to check and then you need to wait for the answer so imagine much that admin. times two so much admin birthdays birthdays christmas <laughs> valentine's day Families. when did we meet <laughs> oh my lord like i'm like that your mum's name is uh, angie and he's like yes <laughs> like, you know i mean that times two no no yeah. way in hell no Times multiple, I just could not, I can't, I don't want to. But good luck to anyone who These does. people need to be like PAs. Yeah. Because <laughs> fuck me, like the the information retention you must have. Exactly. <laughs> anyway, no, no polyamorous people, please, applying <laughs> for the role. <laughs> nope. Um, okay, well, that was a nice little break from before we get into the horribleness of crime <laughs> is it a particularly gruesome one it is yes it is okay i feel like i've been away for a while you're... so i am uh i came back getting with, right back in there came back with a vengeance oh okay <laughs> so what would you say your theme is 
My theme this week, uh, or our theme for this weekend next week, is blunt force mm-hmm. object. Ooh, that is a punchy theme. Yes. No pun intended. <laughs> a fist isn't a blunt force object, is it? Uh, no. If you want it to be, sure. I guess, like on an autopsy, would they say they wouldn't say blunt force trauma, would they, for a fist? No, that's true. I don't think so. So to me, it's just anything that is, well, let's actually, I did Google it it the other day. Let's Let's, be factual. Yes. Here's the actual definition. Blunt force object. Examples of blunt objects include hammers, baseball bats. Oh, fists. It does include Mm. fists. The interior surfaces of vehicles, roads, trees, floors, walls, furniture, and even fluid objects such as bodies of water. Wow. Okay. So you got lots of. What if you fell into the water really hard? (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Like if you were, if you jumped from a height, maybe, then it would be a pretty blunt force object. So you got lots of options next week, Talissa. Yeah, that's opened up. That's opened it up a bit. <laughs> but uh, in this little example definition, they did not include what is mainly in my story this week. So, shall we Ooh, get okay. into it? Yeah, I'm excited. All right, we are going to New Orleans, Louisiana, 1918. Ooh, yeah. Cool. And. I found this story because it's pretty juicy. There's a lot that happened and there's a little twist. Because I found this story and then I was like, okay, what can be the theme around it? And then that's how I came up with the theme. You will find out. So Good stuff. Uh, so yeah, to set the scene, we're going to go back a little bit in history. What was going on in 1918 in New Orleans? It reminds me of Interview with a Vampire. Uh, that was a little bit before then i would say okay well that's my that's what i've got in my head so i'll fast forward a little bit from that yeah think uh world war one it was world war one at that time. yeah america had gotten into world war one a year prior 1917 and Mm -hmm. with that a lot of the soldiers who came back from europe or wherever they were fighting they brought back influenza so that is when if you Uh, In the past couple of years, because of the pandemic, there were lots of articles about like, oh, this has happened before in America and around the world. And Mm. you can see like old pictures of people wearing masks and stuff like that. That was this time. Yeah. So Great Spanish flu, right? Yep. Spanish flu. So the country was going through another pandemic and it had hit hard in New Orleans Between September 1918 and March 1919, there were 3,362 influenza-related deaths in New Orleans, which was nearly 1% of the city's population and about twice the national rate. And it's because New Orleans is like, even now, I think, people are just on top of each other. People are partying. Mm -hmm. People live in really close proximity but also at the same time, there was a lot of like war rallies. It was very patriotic. Okay. There were soldiers that were stationed uh, a couple hours away in, what is it, uh, Camp Beauregard, I think. So there's mm-hmm. just people on top of each other. Uh, people were encouraged to stay home despite the war going on and lots of war rallies and people just ignored that and they partied and they went to war rallies and they met the soldiers and the pandemic just spread around there. So I want to say that as like kind of similar to what we've experienced in the past couple of years of like some people staying indoors, yeah, some people going out and partying, some people like just ignoring it. But yeah, that's what was going on at the time. then I'm sure they didn't have like co- that proper COVID test like we have. So you couldn't like get it and then stay at home. Like you wouldn't know. So you right. just go out. Yeah. Anyway. You just spread it. And they didn't have a vaccine, I'm sure. So yeah, I'm sure that was a fucking nightmare. Yeah. I think eventually they did have something. But uh, yeah, this time I-, I just imagine you're either you either ignore it and you go out or you're just scared all the time. So you stay at home. And if it were me or you, Talissa, we would be 
sat at home with our six kids going nuts. <laughs> I would have probably drowned every single one of them by this point. <laughs> no podcast, uh, yeah. no nothing to entertain you. Just fucking darning your husband's socks yeah. and flicking yourself off. That's all there was. <laughs> and hearing like jazz down the street from some illegal party somewhere some fucking cunt playing jazz 24 yeah. 7 <laughs> some prick with a trumpet <laughs> tooting down the street <laughs> tooting up. fucking spanish flu into yeah. everyone's face <laughs> and that also that does come into play a little uh, bit later you will find out so this was happening okay. and while this was happening Another terror was roaming the streets of New Orleans. On the night of May 22nd, 1918, Andrew Maggio returned home from a night of partying. He had been celebrating his last few days before joining the Navy, and he passed out in his bed in an apartment he shared with his two brothers, Jake and Joseph, and Joseph's wife, Catherine, and they lived above a bar room and a grocery store that they owned. Andrew woke in the middle of the night to what sounded like strange groaning noises. So he got up to investigate and he grabbed his brother Jake. The sound was coming from Joseph and Catherine's room in the adjoining apartment. So it wasn't like they all lived together. It was like kind of like, you know, two separate apartments that were just connected. Yeah. There they found Joseph and Catherine in their bed next to each other. Both had their throats cut and were beaten by an axe. There was just blood everywhere. Joseph was Jesus. still breathing. It was his moaning that had woken up Andrew. The doctor was called as well as the police. However, Joseph died minutes after they arrived, succumbing to his injuries. Whoa. Catherine was pronounced dead yeah. at the scene. Police began searching the home immediately and questioned the brothers. They found several important clues. They found bloody clothes from the murderer who had changed into cleaner ones before he left the scene. Also, I feel like if this That's were clever. now, bloody clothes is like you could find the guy in five seconds. Oh, yeah. This is the pre-80s, no DNA, no jizz on what you want. Yeah. Like, just... <laughs> Fucking smoke a fag and throw it. Like, Leave, don't cut, care. Cut your hair in the middle cut of it. Cut your fucking hair off. Yeah. <laughs> Trim your nails. Trim How your nails. It? Kiss the door. Whatever. Gob all over the place. <laughs> Put your fucking finger... Well, maybe they got a bit of fingerprints, but the process would have been long. Oh, man. Yeah, so they, they found the bloody clothes. They also found the razor that cut both Catherine and Joseph's throat was found in a neighbor's yard and they found that that razor belonged to Andrew, the one who was wasted and passed out. He was a barber. Oh, man. As well as they found the axe that was owned by the Maggios and hung in their kitchen. That was what was used to beat both Catherine and Joseph. So that's almost like a crime, not of opportunity, but like you didn't come prepared. Nope. And that's what uh, you will find with the rest of these cases. They're all very similar. Uh, Andrew Maggio told police everything, that he was so intoxicated that he failed to hear any noises until he was woken by his brother's groaning, probably a few hours in. They said it was around oh. two hours after it had happened that Andrew came into the house or into the room. Oh, horrific. No valuables were taken. So robbery was ruled out and Andrew then became the prime suspect because it was like, well, it was your razor. The axe was in the yeah. house. Who else would have done it? I always think that like being the person to discover the bodies is so shit because yeah. people are like, yes, well, clearly you did it. And it's like, <laughs> no, I was trying to help. <laughs> yeah, it, that is scary. That's a scary prospect of like, I think about that sometimes of like, if I came across some crime scene or a body or something and I called police, would I A, be anonymous in reporting it? Or would I be like, tell who I was, like be completely open? Because you don't know what might be pointed at you for you just coming into this. 
you'd feel too guilty and confess immediately. <laughs> I yes, <laughs> I of course it. I would. But like if I if I just <laughs> approached whatever was in front of me and whoops, I just accidentally like walked through the crime scene. There's my footsteps that I there's my footprints. Uh, I think as a woman, it's, you're a lot less you're a lot less likely <laughs> to be accused of murdering anyone. Yes, <laughs> like, you just don't know. You don't know. If like, you're a man, though, finding a woman's body, oh, fuck man. that. Yeah, that's terrifying. You're immediately in the firing line. Right. If yeah. it was a man that I knew, I would still don't know if I would trust them. <laughs> oh God, I think yeah, I think you're right. If a man in my life was like, oh, I found I found this body, I'd be like, found it, or what would you do? <laughs> What did you do? <laughs> okay, so they think it's uh, Andrew? They think it's Andrew, uh, but he was pretty, okay. he was released pretty quickly when police were unable to break down his account because he was just completely honest, like I would be, and was like, I uh-huh. I just came across it. This is it. Like, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. And neighbors at the time also reported seeing an unknown man that night lurking around the area before the murders. Lurking. Lurking. That word comes up a lot in this. (laughs) Skulking. (laughs) Sulking around. Yeah. A few months later, on June 27th, 1918, John Zanka was making his rounds to the grocery stores in the area. Zanka owned a bakery wagon. I just think that's so cute little bakery wagon (laughs) sounds delicious (laughs) yeah he owned a bakery wagon and he made his next stop at the bessemer grocery store where lewis bessemer lived with his mistress harriet lowe when no one answered the door that morning at 7 a.m zanka went to the back of the store where, where his living quarters were so this is another similarity grocery store where they lived they lived at the back There he found Bessemer and Lowe lying in a pool of blood. Bessemer had been struck with an axe above his right temple, and Lowe was hacked over the left ear. Police were called as well as they were taken to the hospital. They were still alive, so that's why they were taken to the hospital. Oh, fuck. Yeah, right? I know. An axe to the head, man. Yeah. Oh my god, I know what story I'm doing. Okay. I loved your face. It's like, you know when someone has like a light bulb above their head in a cartoon? That's the face that you had just now. Somebody told me when I was younger I had a cartoon face. I didn't really know how to take it. <laughs> but I guess good. It's just expressive. Yeah. Okay. Almost immediately, police arrested Louis Obacon, a 41-year-old African-American man who had just started working for Bessemer a few months prior. I mean, this is just, it was 1918 racism. There was no evidence that found Obacon guilty, yet police arrested him nonetheless, stating that he had given conflicting accounts of his whereabouts the morning of the attack. John Zanka, the bakery guy, was also arrested, but both men were soon released as there was no evidence to suggest that either of them had committed the attempted murders. A few things about the attack. Was it not connected to the fucking other thing? Not yet. So that's a good question. Police at this point, because the first one happened in, was it March or May? A month or two before. And then this one's in June. So police weren't connecting anything yet. We are now because we could be like, oh, yeah, this is, you know, grocery store. Um, And then there's also Mm -hmm. another very big similarity that's coming up. A few things about the attack felt fishy to the police. Bessemer stated that he was attacked in his sleep, and Harriet Lowe first stated that she was attacked by Obacon, the African-American employee, but the police discounted it because of the state that she was in, as well as her attitude. She was not complying with police, and she outwardly showed distaste for the New Orleans chief of police. So she was just talking shit, even though, at the same time... Fuck it out, love! She was hit in the head. She was hit in the head, so who knows if this was because of her injury or... uh, But the police were just like... We can't believe you because you're just kind of all over the place. Evidence also showed that... <laughs> She's just like, I-, <laughs> I don't care if I have been axed in the face, pigs. 
I'm not telling you nothing. <laughs> um, this also kind of relates to small town murder. You know how he oh, talks yeah. about his Italian grandma, like, I'm not a rat kind oh, of yeah. thing. That's big, <laughs> yeah, yeah. definitely a big factor in this story. Evidence also showed that, again, there was no robbery, even though it was a grocery store, the guy, whoever did it, could have taken a bunch of money. Uh, no valuables were taken. After the attack, one side of Lowe's, Harriet Lowe's face was partially paralyzed. So on August 5th, which was about a month and a half later, she had surgery performed in an effort to correct it. Two days later, she died. Before Fuck. she passed, she told authorities that she suspected it was Bessemer who had attacked her. Again, this is her just talking, doesn't know. Yeah, she seems like she's all over the fucking joint. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, I don't know if this was, I don't know if this was like the police being like, oh, it's a woman. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She's been hit in the head. She's you know. fucking on her period. Yeah. She's not making any sense. You're right. <laughs> So she said that it was Bessemer who had attacked her, and police did give this a little bit of weight as she said that she thought that he was possibly a German spy, which, remember, it was World War One, so that was possible because mm -hmm. this was backed up by letters that the police had found written by Bessemer, and they were written in several languages, German, Russian, and Yiddish. That's oh, just, that's not good. Yeah. Maybe he was just a really smart guy, though. Who knows? They're like the big hitters. The, the yeah. big hitters. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Bessemer was charged with murders, and he he was charged with the murder, I guess, because she had died. And he served nine mm. months in prison before being acquitted on May 1st, 1919, after a 10-minute jury deliberation. So I think even though he was arrested and- well, That was a whole load of nothing. Exactly. I think a lot of people were like, no, he didn't do it. Also, these attacks made big news in New Orleans, not just because of the brutality of the attacks, but because Bessemer was living with his mistress, Harriet Lowe, and that made huge news. Sorry, so is she trying to say that when you say Bessemer, are you talking about the guy that also was axed to the face? The guy who was axed to the face, the two people that were <laughs> axed to the face, to be graphic, was yeah. Bessemer yeah. and Lowe. Bessemer and his mistress, Harriet Lowe. So, okay, so she's trying to say he axed me in the face and then himself. Yeah. Right. I Yeah. I <laughs> exactly. That's just, I mean, it's commitment, but, but I don't think he did it. <laughs> she also, she only said this two days before she died as she was about to go into surgery where they f were going to fix her face. But, you know, who knows what headspace she was in at that time. And maybe the well, police- Well, one. <laughs> yeah. Maybe the police coerced her a little bit because they were like, oh, we found these letters. Is your boyfriend a spy? And maybe she was just like, oh, shit. Oh, well, that makes no sense. You know, maybe, maybe there was some kind of thing there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this also made a lot of news because they were, that was, Lo was uh, Bessemer's mistress. Bessemer's actual wife arrived in New Orleans from Cincinnati a few days after the attack. And that just blew up the newspapers. There was so much drama because... Uh, oh shit. Harriet Lowe was very gobby and she was talking shit about the police. She was talking shit about her her boyfriend possibly being a spy. Like she was just she wouldn't stop talking. So that was just big news oh, and lots man. of drama. Then his wife shows up. Yeah. I've got an axe to the face. <laughs> and now my wife shows up. Shit. Oh no. Yeah. So <laughs> okay, so that's the second attack. A third attack happened a few months after that on August 5th, 1918. Anna Schneider was eight months pregnant when she awoke to a dark figure standing over her. She was repeatedly hit in the face with a blunt object. At first, police thought it was a lamp, but then they later found that it was an axe. She was Fucking hell, how heavy is that lamp? Yeah, well, 1918, I don't know. Big brass something. New lamps were made think. out of lead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She was found a few hours later by her husband, Ed, who was returning ho home late from work. 
Her head had been cut open and her face and body was covered in blood. She was still alive. She was then taken to the hospital while her husband was questioned. He told them his account of coming home and finding her and that, again, nothing was stolen. The pure reason for this was just the attack, just like the other two. Nothing was taken. They just wanted to grab an axe and hit someone. There was no forced entry either, which was strange. Police was stumped by this one. Anna Schneider lived, and she gave birth to a healthy baby a few days later. She was eight months oh, pregnant. Oh, good for her. Yeah. How Fucking hell. Trauma. Giving birth with your face smacked oh in. Oh, my gosh. Ugh. They were probably like, hey, Last thing you need. You should probably get this baby out, because yeah, who knows maybe. what's going to happen to you. However, she did not remember anything about the attacker, only giving the account of a dark figure standing over her before she was hit in the head. That's the thing about, like, head trauma. Yeah. Is I remember this case where a kid, like, tried to murder both his parents with an axe and, like, they just couldn't remember Mm. what had happened. Do you remember that case? Yeah, I think so. Like, that's the thing with head... With head trauma, people just can't recall. Right. So it's almost like perfect crime. It is. And that's what's scary, too. I mean, you can't really plan it if you're the attacker. That you are you can't really bank on them just forgetting. But it's also No, well, you're hoping they die, aren't you? (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) That's not your intention. (laughs) But it's also scary to get head trauma. And I always think it's scary that you could change as a person. Have you heard oh about my God, yeah. the people who get into like car accidents or get head trauma and then they can just speak another language or they mm-hmm. just change into, you know, someone who's like knows karate or something? Dude, that's what I was telling you about. Do you remember that Louis Theroux documentary where I said that guy, it's called A Different Brain. And that guy, like, says yeah. it, he thinks he now thinks practical jokes are really funny. So he throws a plastic <laughs> brick at someone who's supposed to be looking after him. And he's like dying laughing. And they're like, that is so inappropriate. But because he's got brain damage, like, he just can't see it. <laughs> That's what's scary. But also, it could be, you could get some incredible luck from that. Like, all of a sudden, knowing a new language. Like, where's that come from? <laughs> Mate, that's the best case scenario. <laughs> like, exactly. All of this. Yeah. Um, so yeah, for that case, so she gave birth to the baby. She didn't really remember what happened. There was one guy, and I feel like this is 1918 in New Orleans. There's so many people around. The police are just like, that guy, he's the culprit. And they just like pick someone out of wherever. Like, so they did catch a guy who was already like running from the police in the area. He was an ex-convict. And they caught him and they were like, you did this. And he was like, no, I didn't. I was just running from the police because I'm an ex-convict. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, but he was lazy. Lazy policing. Exactly. And uh, I think some, in one of the articles that I read, like some police were even fired because it really was just lazy policing in some of these cases. But uh, yeah, that Mm -hmm. ex-convict was later released because he just clearly didn't do it. So up until this point, police had not been connecting each of the attacks. It was this next attack, only five days after Anna Schneider's, that police began to suspect a serial killer. Obviously, at that time, they didn't have the phrase serial killer, but they began to suspect that it was Mm -hmm. the same person, and they started releasing Mm -hmm. that publicly. So the attack that happened five days later was on August 10th. Sisters Pauline and Mary Bruno awoke to the sounds of a commotion in the adjoining room where their elderly uncle's bedroom was. The sisters entered the room, discovering their uncle, Joseph Romano, lying in a pool of blood with his head badly injured. The attacker fled as soon as the sisters entered the room, so they were able to state to police what he looked like, which was a dark-skinned, heavy-set man who wore a, a dark suit and a slouched hat. Romano, although he wow. was seriously injured, he was able to walk to the ambulance once it arrived, yet he died two days later due to severe head trauma. Poor guy. Um, oh, it's so horrible. You just want him to f- finish you off. Fuck, two days of pure suffering. Also, 
everyone around you is like, oh, he's standing up. He's able to walk to the ambulance. He must be okay. He's going to pull through. And then two days later, it's just like, nope, that was just adrenaline. That was probably helping him walk to the ambulance. Yeah, definitely. And it's so weird how like somebody can punch you in the face once and you die. (laughs) And then somebody can beat your fucking head in with an axe and you're fine. Right. For like two days. Yeah. Or you're completely fine full stop. Like, the brain is such a, a such a mystery, isn't it? The like, human Sometimes body. it's just like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like, cool, I'll take a fucking car to the head. Right. Like, not a problem. And then other times, somebody just knocks you wrong, and that's it. Over. Or, there was that, uh, this reminds me, this is kind of gruesome, but this reminds me of, there's a, this video of, I think it's an Olympic... Uh, he's throwing the not a javelin. Javelin? No, it's like it looks Shot like put? a spear. It. I don't okay. know if they have it anymore, but it was back in like the seventies or maybe the eighties even. And he throws yeah. it really far, and it goes in, lands in <clears throat> someone's. I'm sorry, <laughs> lands in someone's head. Oh that man, God! That man lived. I know. <laughs> it's mental. Yeah. And he was able to just go on with his life. That's insane. I know. Yeah. You, I guess it's just like, it's like playing Operation. Like, you can touch the littlest thing and it'll go over. Right. But sometimes you can just wriggle it about. Like, yeah. just depends where you hit, I suppose. It really does. It's like this, the precise little thing. You don't, like, it just misses something that it, it could have. Yeah, it's like lobotomies. Like, yeah. I went down a fucking lobotomy hole hard <laughs> a few times. <laughs> like, yeah, you've talked about that yeah, like, before. Yeah, like, kind of because I really want one in a way. But, like, somebody just, like, yeah, this guy just, like, gets an ice pick and just goes, Dink, and, like, hits a certain part of your brain yeah. and you're just, like, you lose any desire to be violent, you lose any anger, you lose stress, wow. you're just chugging along. And then some people, like, I think it was the Kennedy's sister had one mm-hmm. and she was just turned into like completely yeah just completely mentally disabled not the same person couldn't talk like and stuff like that so it's just yeah there's no as planning. you say like really like, precise the risks are way too high to try and do that you're not doing it purpose. with a not doing it with an mri you're just like mm, fuck <laughs> it like the way i hang pictures in walls <laughs> this looks good just by we'll eye that. yeah <laughs> And like any man seeing me do it goes, what the fuck are you doing? And like has a heart attack. <laughs> who knows? I'm like, what? Who knows what's behind this wall? Let's find out. <laughs> yeah. Pipes, wires, yeah. fucking bag it in. <laughs> um, yeah. So again, oh. in this case, nothing was taken from the home, although it was completely ransacked. It was at this point that police began connecting the dots to the other attacks and murders and their similarities. All of them involved an axe. Usually the axe was owned by the victim, so the perpetrator would just turn up at the house, find the weapon, and Fucking hell, a lot of people have axes. We've talked about this before. Remember, it's like this time of the century where axes were kind of important. Is it firewood? You needed firewood, you yeah. needed to get out of your house if your house was on fire. Axes were just everywhere. People I had guess. axes. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's not now, but back then it was just a regular thing. No. So all the okay. attacks were at night in their homes through usually a break-in, but no valuables were taken. And most of all, this is one of the biggest things. The attacks were to Italian immigrants, the majority of them who owned grocery stores. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, that is a weird uh, connection. Yeah. The, so there was Joseph Romano, there was the Maggios, all Italian. Yeah. Um, I think Bessemer was Italian. His name doesn't sound Italian, but I think he was. And then mm-hmm. the pregnant woman. So that was a Aww. big clue. Police began publicly stating the similarities, warning people to safely lock their homes and encouraged anyone with the information to come forward. The attacks went quiet for about six months because it was so public. 
And in the meantime, residents of New Orleans claim to have seen axemen lurking around the area, with some even stating <laughs> that they found random axes in their backyards. <sighs> well, that's not right. His MO isn't to dump an axe in your backyard, it's to dump an axe in your face. So I don't know if people I think were probably people just were fucking just, around and yeah, trying to scare you. Yeah, people were just scared and they were like, oh shit, there's an axe here. And they just forgot that they had left it there last summer. And Yeah, <laughs> if everyone's got an axe, like, right. come on. Um, so now we're going into the year 1919. Several more murders and attacks mm -hmm. followed. On March 10th, 1919, almost a year after the first attacks began, Charles and Rosie Cortamiglia, again, Italian, and their baby daughter, Mary, yeah. were found badly wounded in their home, no. again, by an axe attack. And again, they were people who lived in a grocery store lived uh, owned a grocery store wow charles and rosie the parents survived but sadly two-year-old mary succumbed to her injuries rosie stated rosie Aww. the wife stated that her attackers were the rival grocery store owners father and son frank and irlando <laughs> giordano again another couple italians they were the ones who found the family and charles the husband he denied his wife's accusations, and in the year following the attacks, he ended up divorcing her because she was implicating these two sweet men who had found them and got their help yeah. and said that they had done it. Evidence did not back up her statement either. Orlando was 69 years old, and Frank was over six feet tall, and he was 200 pounds, and police had found a hacked entryway that the intruder made, and it was too small for Frank, the 200-pound guy, to have fit through. Mm -hmm. But despite that, the two men were still convicted, and they were set to be hung. Fuck. And eventually, Rosie revoked her statements, and they were released. My lord. That was just another huge drama in New Orleans, and that was big news, but it connected it to the other murders. Okay. So again, this was like six or eight months after the last murders. New Orleans, they, were, they thought that they were safe, but now everyone was back in terror and fear, and the police were getting nowhere, mm -hmm. stating that they believed all of the crimes to have been committed by the same man. They said he was, in quotes, a bloodthirsty maniac filled with passion for human slaughter. Fucking hell, way to calm down New Orleans. <laughs> right. <laughs> so at this time, everyone's just in a panic. The newspapers are reporting every well, yeah. little thing that they could. Fucking shitting myself. <laughs> um, Especially if I sold any kind of cured meats. <laughs> if I saw any man lurking in the shadows if i saw an axe lying anywhere i would be terrified you wouldn't be able to sleep no if you were italian if you were an italian grocery store owner that's it i'm not anymore i'm moving again <laughs> i would get six dogs yeah <laughs> i have to axe through three dogs till you get to me yeah I don't think at that point guns were uh, available too much. Maybe, they, well, yeah, I would say they were because... Um, They're probably all in the war, right? Yeah, like, exactly, yeah. I don't know. Um, but anyways, so a few days after that attack, the local newspaper, the Times-Picayne, received a taunting letter from an unknown source. Are you ready for this, Talissa? Here is the yeah, taunting letter. yeah. Kind of reminds me of the Zodiac who wrote the letter. Yeah. It was pretty juicy. It's kind of long, so I'm going to sk skip over some of it. Okay. Okay. Hell, March 13th, 1919. Esteemed mm. mortal of New Orleans. Oh, fucking hell. Grow I, up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this whole letter is like, come on, dude. You're so dramatic. Okay. Mm. They have never caught me and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. 
I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, besmeared with blood and brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. Uh, blah, 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 Satan, blah, 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 police are dumb. (laughs) Undoubtedly, you Arlenians think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. Side note. (laughs) I am. (laughs) And I am, by the way. Yeah. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizen, and the worst, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now, okay, here's where it gets kind of weird and interesting. Before now, it's just right. been like, blah, 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 I am Satan's spawn, whatever. Just shagging his own ass. <laughs> yes. Now, to be exact, at 12.15, earthly time, on next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose (laughs) home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well, then so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is the su- that some of your people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, <laughs> if there be any, <laughs> will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus. Oh, fucking hell, you've been going on for 15 pages. <laughs> I know. Front and back. <laughs> oh, we're almost done, I swear. And as it is about time I leave your earthly home... I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed, either in fact or realm of fancy. The Axeman. Oh, right. One, that might not even be him. That could just be some asshole yeah. who is writing to the police for a laugh. Yeah. Like the Jack the Ripper jazz. from Hell Lair. Who loves jazz. Yeah. Who really... Who is a jazz band manager in New Orleans and wants everyone booked on that night? He's just out to make some good catch. Also, I love that he's like, 12.15 earthly time. Oh, thanks, mate, because I was running on hell time. Oh, yeah. Are you sure? Oh, shit, we're an hour out. (laughs) Hell time. Heavenly time. Mars time. I don't know. Centipede time. Yeah. Nice. So, to me, I think this is just some dramatic guy. And there were even some articles that I read when I was researching this that it was like somebody just really wanted to push some jazz music and get people to yeah to listen to jazz more, which is exactly what happened. Uh-huh. It's exactly what happened. What? Yes. I so, can't believe that worked. <laughs> on that night... Residents of the city were, of course, terrified, but of course they complied, and no attacks happened that night either. Wow! It was just a- don't publish the letter. But I don't know. In a way, you kind of would want to because you'd be like, okay, well, if somebody doesn't, and if they don't play jazz music that night, and they get murdered, then you're like, oh shit, this was true. There's a risk. Well, I think. <laughs> I guess, but, like, I don't negotiate with terrorists, Rachel, so. (laughs) I don't know. For me, it's a straight up no. Police and the papers at that time, it it also was a really, all these murders were really salacious, so the the newspapers were probably like, hell yeah, we're publishing this, everyone's gonna read it. Yeah, I suppose. Everyone's gonna buy a paper to read this, yeah. Right. And there was even, um... I didn't write it down. There was a piece of music that was written called the uh, the Axeman's Jazz after this. So look it up if you want to listen to it. I'm sure we can't okay. play it here um, because of rights or no. whatever. We don't want to get sued. But anyways. Uh, and I look hate jazz. Yeah. <laughs> you do? Oh. <laughs> well, it's all right, but like not hardcore jazz. Like I need it to be very watered down. 
Otherwise, not it's like just like crazy saxophone fur, just going fur, off. Fur, fur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I need something with like a real rhythm. You know what I'm like. I just. It, I, it needs to be calming. And jazz yeah. is not calming. No, it's not. I think at that time, too, I just. I find it very exciting, New Orleans jazz time. Like, that's when it was getting huge and just i think it would have been yeah. so exciting to be walking through norley not because of the axe man but like because of the music and the atmosphere and the war rallies and you have soldiers yeah. and everyone's partying and it was uh i think right before or after prohibition fun. so to imagine before, the atmosphere right what yeah before yeah. i think prohibition was like 1920 something yeah right yeah you're right so no attack happened that night, but New Orleans residents continued to report seeing men lurking, finding windows and doors tampered with, and finding random axes in areas around New Orleans. So that was still continuing, and people were just scared and reporting mm -hmm. whatever they saw or heard or found. Other similar attacks on Italian immigrants followed. Steve Boca, another grocer, was attacked by an axe wielder on the night of August 10th, 1919. He lived, but again, the injuries he got, he couldn't remember anything. On September mm. 2nd, 1919, a local druggist named William Carson escaped the axe man when he fired several shots. Finally, someone has a gun <laughs> for the intruder. Yeah! The guy broke into his home and he tried to kill him. The killer left a broken door and an axe behind. And then a day later, Shit. September 3rd, 1919... Sarah Lauman was attacked with an axe. She was a woman, a young woman who lived by herself. Her doors were locked and she shuttered her home. So she was doing everything right. And yet still, neighbors, yeah. neighbors came to check on her when they heard the noises and they found her lying unconscious in her bed, suffering from a severe head injury and she was missing several teeth. Though she suffered from oh. a brain concussion, she recovered. Again, this guy isn't that good at axe murdering. He's, really, he's not. And it sounds like he's doing it. If I were Paul Holes and I were analyzing yeah. it. It's you like are Paul Holes, Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> he's, the excitement is breaking into someone's house, attacking yeah. them. And waking them up and scaring the shit out of them. Yes. And then running off. Not stealing anything yeah um just leaving a bloody trail and with this one again another axe was left in the front lawn of the building the last attack came mm -hmm. on october 27th 1919 when grocer mike pepitone was slain again italian that night mm -hmm. his wife heard a noise and arrived at the door of the bedroom just as a large axe wielding man was fleeing from the scene Pepitone had been struck in the head and was covered in his own blood. His murder left his wife and six children behind. Um, oh. She was unable to describe any characteristics of the killer other than that he was large. And the usual clues, again, had been left behind. An axe. Nothing was taken. That was the last attack. The authorities continued to work on the case but it would be in vain. Pepitone's murder was the last known of the Axeman killer. He was never heard from in New Orleans again after that. Um, Shit. You always think like something happened to them, like they died. Yeah. Yes. That's all you can think. They died or this was World War I. They might have been shipped off. They might have been a soldier. Yeah, possibly. Um, here's another thing that we haven't mentioned, but... According to scholar Richard Warner, the chief suspect in the crimes was Frank Doc Mumphrey, who used the mm -hmm. alias Leon Joseph Monfrey or Manfrey. Police suspected that he was part of the mob and that these were possible hits, but no leads oh. ever followed and no one was ever arrested. And if you look up this story okay. now, he is the main suspect that people even now, it, they think that it's him and that he was just part of the mob. So it kind of lines up oh. with all the Italian immigrants yeah. and the grocers and even like kids. It's like the the attacker did attack some kids. So it could have just been a hit like we're, we're going to get your family and that's it. Yeah, but I thought the mob didn't touch the families. Or am I just basing this on Sopranos knowledge? 
<laughs> I don't know. At that time, 1918, it might have been more brutal. Cause yeah, maybe it's that, different. That other story that I did of the, what was it, like the 13 kids that just disappeared, they were Italian as well. And I think that was yeah, around yeah. that time. So maybe they were just more brutal right. at that time. And I also think yeah, that... Yeah, maybe it eventually got to where they didn't attack kids. Yeah. They were like, this is enough. We can't do this anymore. <laughs> let's, let's stop now. Some, let's have some yeah. class. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think that at that time, guys just joined the mobs so that they could be serial killers. And I think that that is my theory for this yeah. case. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good theory. It's like the Iceman, Richard Kuklinski. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. he just was cool with killing people and then he got a job with the mob and he was like cool this works for me yeah like i'm really good at it and i like it why it's not? easy work like don't have to answer to anyone yeah and loads of money yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so that is the story of the axeman killer of new orleans and our theme blunt force object for this week it was great great story lots of twists and turns well done. right yeah and um it's just so fucking frustrating when, like, something happens over and over and over again, and then, like, the police go, oh, yeah. It's like, dude. <laughs> it's like in um, The Grinder Killer. Mm. Like, there was there were gay men being turning up, like, dead, overdosed, in the same spot over and over. Yeah. And the police were like, yeah, probably an accident. Yeah. It's like, dude, it's right there. How are you not seeing this? <laughs> like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it was a little bit messed up with the second murder, which was so scandalous because of the Harriet Lowe and her gobbing off to the police and, and, and the guy being a possible spy. I think that kind of threw a wrench in there being connections. With Red herring. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, also, I was thinking when you were telling that story, like... The, the person who found the murder victim yeah. was then blamed. Yeah. And then, like, Each it was like time. a baton race. Like, right. the next person, every time, whoever found them was the murderer. And it's like, how can that make any sense? Yeah. Like, that's, and that's what I, it, it's like, that's what the police, that's how bad they were doing their job was, it was just like, uh, you, you're it. You're the guy. Yeah. Like, that's yeah. it. Yeah, it was like a game of, like, shit, it's game of tag. Right. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> I think there has to, this has got to be like Jack the Ripper, though. There has to be so many yes. in-depth books about this. Like, people have got to have, like, deep-dived into it. There are a few books, but it's not Jack the Ripper. Everyone knows who Jack the Ripper is, but because at the same time, like, World War One was going on and... The flu, mm -hmm. the pandemic was going on, so it wasn't yeah. the biggest thing that he got was buried in at stories. That time. Yeah. Whereas eighteen eighty eight, nothing was happening. Right. <laughs> right. Everyone so was just I get living yeah. in squalor and looking for some kind of drama. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Well, that was great. I it kind of makes me want to Google this guy who you say is a suspect and see yeah. him. If you Google him, do you know what he looks like? Uh, yeah, he looks like an Italian mobster. He look he lines up yeah. to the uh the accounts like the people who did actually witness like big guy, imagine a big yeah. Italian mobster guy in a floppy. Who hat, are we talking about? A suit in the Sopranos. Pick a cast member. <laughs> yes, exactly. Which one though? Can um, you pick one? Maybe Tony. Okay. Well, uh, Tony Just Soprano over your bed with an axe yes. is fucking petrifying. Yes, big guy, <laughs> older. Just yeah. dark, uh, you know, it looming. Built like a giant wombat. Exactly. <laughs> By the way, which reminds me, Tom showed me today a video of a wombat. This guy was trying to feed this wombat a corn on the cob, and it was like just randomly fucking biting in the air. And if the corn on the cob landed near its face, then it bit it. And I was like, that thing looks petrifying. Yeah. <laughs> was why like, was he doing I was like, that? What? I was like, what is that? A fucking wombat. And Tom's like, yeah. <laughs> why are you watching this <laughs> that's like those those videos of like people thinking that raccoons are cute and then handing oh, them like some little snack and the the raccoon just goes nuts at them <laughs> thing is i've told we discussed this previously i've got a thing about raccoons <laughs> and possums and you're like they're the devil they uh, are tame they aren't nice <laughs> possums are terrifying raccoons are cute but I would not approach either of them. 
This is like when I wanted to go and see the Scientologist and you were like, no. <laughs> Stop it. Walk away. You were like, it's a, it's a wild animal. It does not want you near it. <laughs> Do not approach. We're leaving. Uh, okay. Well, On that I'll note. have a think about next week. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> Don't go near possums, everybody. <laughs> Don't go near possums. I'm excited to see what you are going to bring us next week. And... Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm glad to be back, too. It's nice to have you back, mate. All right. See you next week. Bye. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to Transatlantic Crime this week. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and subscribe. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at TransatCrimePod, Instagram at TransatlanticCrime, and on Facebook with Transatlantic Crime Podcast. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.